I would say as a widow to be present for someone without trying to uh, fix the situation with platitudes. And definitely, even if you are another widow, you really can't say, I know what you're going through because every marriage, every personality, every circumstance is very different. I know what it's like to close the door at night and be alone, and that's what other widows know, and that's probably about the only thing I do know. So it's not trying to give somebody ideas, but to see what their ideas are, if they even know what they are. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Welcome to another Reframing Ministries podcast, an interview with two amazing women who have written a book that you will love. They start out by saying, everyone makes plans for the future, but what do you do when everything explodes? You reach for this book, co-authored by my guests today, Marilyn and April. Marilyn suddenly lost her husband in 2011 after 42 years of marriage, two days before Christmas. And April in 2015 was diagnosed with an incredibly rare genetic um with an incredibly rare genetic disorder that causes paralysis without any forewarning. So these two women know how to speak into our lives when things have gone away, when life has fallen apart, and they are offering hope through their book, Destination Hope, a travel companion when life falls apart. So welcome, both of you, to the Reframing Ministries podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, I would like both of you just to introduce yourselves and tell us how you came to write the book. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, this is April, April White speaking. And um, Marilyn and I joined forces um, because we met initially because she was an editor for a, um, a publication and I had submitted some devotions to be published that got returned to me because the publishing company, a small publishing house, closed its doors. Mm-hmm. And then we became friends on Facebook and she began writing. Um, she wrote an article about secondary losses and she was mm-hmm. referring to the loss of her husband and subsequent losses that are secondary that no one thinks about, you know, having to um, mulch the yard and who's going to do the taxes and Um, while I had not lost my husband, I had lost, uh, my identity and I had what I thought was temporarily hung up my pharmacist jacket, lab coat, um, because I went on what I thought was a temporary medical leave of absence. Um, and I too began to experience secondary losses, uh, Mm um, wondering to know who, what's going on and and who am I? And so even though I couldn't relate with the loss of a spouse, I could relate to loss and grief in a whole different genre, like in a whole different way. 
Um, Marilyn talks about having to take off her wedding rings. And, and for me, that was taking off the identity of who am I if I'm not um, the career pharmacist that I had been for nearly 20 years. Wow. And, uh, and for those of us that are career oriented, when that career is stripped away, you begin to wonder, like, who, who am I if that's not what I'm doing? Um, and that is initially how we met. Wow. And Marilyn? We ended up actually unknown to each other attending a writer's conference, the same writer's conference. And it was that if you've ever been to the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center, the Cove, the beautiful stone fireplace, uh, we were standing there and she turned to me and she said, are you Marilyn Nutter? And I said, well, that's what my name tag says. Mm -hmm. And I looked at hers and I said, you're April White, because she had actually emailed me about my article and said exactly what she just said, that she has secondary losses of a different type. And we talked and we shared and the light went on. And we thought, you know, we live in two different states. We're two different generations. We have two different losses, loss of health and her career, mine, loss of a marriage. You know, she had invested 20 years and probably $100,000 to be educated. And I had invested 42 years and four months in a very happy marriage, raising three children. And both of us were at a place of loss. And we thought there are different losses, but there are so many common threads. And that's where we landed and thought, okay, there are other losses. People have prodigals. People go through messy divorces. People all of a sudden are blindsided because they have a special needs child and our, their resources are being drained. What do they do in these, in these life-altering experiences that cannot change? I mean, they're not going to be fixed, and, but we can be fixed. And we thought, we, maybe we should collaborate on something. And it took many emails, phone calls, lots of prayer, and that's where we landed to think we, we could write about this and offer hope to other people in different situations. And it took years. It wasn't an overnight book by any means, but that's how we got started together. I love in the book where you say, um, you actually quote C.S. Lewis in the book, and it's like, oh, you too? Like, you get this? You understand me? And I think most of us, when we go through that phase of being completely ruined in the reframing process, that's how it starts. We are completely thrown off the course where our destination was supposed to go. And you do mention the expectations, the expectation to be married and then you're divorced, the expectation of a great job security, and then you're fur furloughed or laid off, which has been so many situations in the last couple of years. And you mentioned a lot of different losses, like you said, which are primary, but then the secondary losses expand on that because those are not talked about very often, yet we all have them. We do. And April and I have what we call our significant chapters in the book that, that meant the most to us. For April, it's triggers. Those secondary losses are very big for her. 
triggers affect me. Um, when we were talking earlier, my husband died the 23rd of December. So the minute I hear Christmas music, it's a trigger. Uh, but interesting. Secondary yeah. losses are huge. And that is one of the things that I think drew us together was our losses were very different, but we had real secondary losses that people don't know about. Hmm. Every single morning, my husband had my coffee ready for me and we'd have coffee together. You know, if I think about it the night before, when I go to bed, I'll start my coffee. Otherwise, there I am in the morning. Now, that may be a little thing, but it was more than the coffee. It was his care and his love and the fact that we could have coffee together. People don't know about that secondary loss. Uh, the secondary loss of I relocated uh, to be near my family two years after my husband died. So when I relocated to another state, my, my speech changed actually on December 23rd. My speech changed from we to I. My speech changed from our to mine. And my decisions were solo decisions. And so I just got tax materials taken ready. He always did that. Um, I mulched my yard. He always did that. And so these are other losses that people only see the primary loss, whether it's April's health or a person has a prodigal or their child is chronically ill or you're a widow or divorced, whatever it is. But there are so many secondary losses that we have. Some are visible. Some are very private ones. And they really contribute to the whole picture of your life falling apart. Now, what do I do? Well, I now think what you're talking about so much is our identity and mm -hmm. our companionship, the rituals and celebrations that we have enjoyed before. I know, April, we talked about running mm -hmm. as you used to run on the Thanksgiving um, annual deal. You cannot do that now. Just those kinds of, or with a special needs child, is the loss of being able to Christmas shop in a normal way, which we talked about the other day as well. So tell us, help us understand what, how is comfort offered to those who are experiencing this ruined phase? They're having to give up so much. They I don't know about the support that you both had, which usually changes after the loss has happened. Just speak into that for us to understand more about what helps. Well, for me, um, what helped and what continues to help is for friends to just continue to be friends and not try to fix things or feel like they have to completely always understand what's going on. Um, but just to say, can I, you know, can we go for coffee or if you're not feeling up to it, can I bring coffee to you? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just come over and not even have to talk about my illness. Um, I had a dear friend who in the book, I talk about our Meg and she has, she had cancer. And since then she has passed away, but Meg and I, we, we joked about, we get tired of people always asking about our health because there's so many other dim dimensions to us. For sure. Yes. Uh, you know, we both have teenagers the same age. We, um, you know, we both both love to read books, so we are uh, voracious readers. I like to sew and craft and do all sorts of crafty things. So, 
she and I had a joke about any time that we were, she and I, when we were feeling particularly bad, like for whatever reason, we would text each other and just say, what book are you reading? Hmm. And that was code for us to say, I'm having a bad day. But that was really what we wanted other people to talk to us about. It's not always about the doom and gloom of health related issues, but just I'm still my same old person. I'm just trying to manage this other aspect of life that seems hard to put a lasso around some days. Which is really identity. I mean, you're saying I am now changed irreversibly, but it doesn't define me. And I'm searching for who am I now? A lot of times we do have our identity displaced and don't realize that until we go through these experiences. But either way, having someone come over and try and fix us or say things that do not help, Mm -hmm. they hurt. How do you work through that? Because I know the other day when we talked, there were some painful events that really, that when people would say things that really hurt you, what things were said or what is hurtful and what is helpful? Well, I remember um, being at church and a woman who didn't know any better and did not have a degree in, uh, she did not have any type of health degree whatsoever. And I mean, I don't even, I don't know if she was college educated at all. She came up to me and said, now what's your illness? And I told her hypokalemic periodic paralysis. And she said, I never heard of that. Are you sure you're not making it up and that they're not that are you sure? And I it took the Holy Spirit <laughs> definitely and a whole lot of grit <laughs> to like hold me back. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm paralyzed. You, I can't you, move. I don't think I'd make serious? this up. <laughs> and I just said, like, with a very strange smile, and I said, Yep, that's why it's a rare illness. Mm. Not a lot of people have it. And that's why it's called rare. And I just thought, you know, about make me lose my mind, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what were some things that were said to you? Well, things said to me um, are things that I think a lot of people hear sometimes about, well, his work was done as if that was really going to make me feel better. And actually, I said, well, his work really wasn't done because he was in the middle of teaching a class, the church. Um, There's there's two more lessons. So someone else is picking that up. Um, Someone said, isn't it wonderful? He's going to have Christmas with Jesus and have birthday cake because he died December 23rd. And I thought, I mean, in my grief brain, which is a real thing, you have clouded thinking. For um, sure. You begin to wonder, what what are you thinking that you would say this? Um, everything happens for a reason. Uh, and all of these, and the one, is, the one that we talked about the other day was um, related to my sharing that my husband had a fatal heart attack. And... Uh, I gave a very short summary of it all. And it was at a luncheon and a woman said, oh, my husband did too. He had stents put in and he's just fine right now. Isn't God good? And I thought, yes, God is good because God's always good. 
His, He's uh, good, but I don't know if I'm going to be really good right now because <laughs> I don't want to be. I had a lot of self-control. I walked away and then I had to confess my pride that I hung it together <laughs> because it, it, you know, that is it. But I do want to get back to something which was the opposite of uh, a statement that I think is helpful to, uh, and I've, I've written about it in, in articles, that I was leaving the church after the memorial service, and uh, we had to have it at a different church. It was Christmas, holidays, and whatever. And I was leaving, and the, one of the care pastors was there. Actually, he had recorded the service for us. And um, I was leaving with my daughter, and I said, thank you so much for allowing us to use your, your building and everything. And he told me, I'm so sorry for your loss. I said, thank you. I said, you know, it's so hard to understand. Here we were 2,000 miles from home, two days before Christmas, and this happened. I said, people have said his work was finished. Hmm. And in what has to have been, the movement of the Holy Spirit for him to tell me this, I have continued to rewind in my mind. He said, his work isn't finished. He said, I heard you speak up there. I heard your son-in-law speak. I saw your grandchildren and your daughters. He said, he's left a tremendous legacy. His work is nowhere near finished. That's fabulous. And wasn't that beautiful? Because... It's true. I mean, I look at my children and grandchildren and what God is doing in their lives. And I think he's part of that. And so, no, his work is not done. And um, that that is something that I, I hope listeners will take away when, if they have a grief. And it's it's I think our work is not done because we're sidelined. You know, April is a whole different um, road trip, to, you know, to think about our destination, hope, a road trip of life. She's taking a different road trip. Her work has been reframed, reformatted, whatever we want to say, for God's purposes and his glory in another way, you know, and for me as a, as a widow, as a one who is solo at the moment and I expect there will be, but my life is different right now, but God has his design and his purpose in it. And my work's not done either. It isn't done. I mean, look at you today. You're speaking to people who need you to say you're going to make it because it's messy. When that, when that devastation comes around, there's so much rubble trying to walk on a bunch of rocks and then on top of that, your faith is shaken to the core. Um, how did you wrestle with God? And was that something that wasn't allowed before or that you struggled with even wrestling with him over? I don't believe I ever wrestled with God. And I, and I don't say this with an ounce of pride. I was never angry. Um, I, I know I facilitate a grief group for spouses, and I hear a lot of that. I hear about anger. I hear about regret. Oh, I have regret. I mean, we were supposed to take trips. I have regret over dreams, which gets me back to something else about our secondary losses. Our secondary losses are also future losses. For we sure. Will we will never get rid of secondary losses. You know, um, the, the dream that a child was going to be someone who 
he can't be, you know, um, my future losses of retirement. I had four grandchildren when Randy died and now I have eight. So he was absent. That was a future loss every time I had a new grandchild. But um, so the idea, God, God just does prepare us. It is amazing to me. I, I shouldn't be amazed after all the years I've been a Christian, but one of the things that I had been uh, studying was the names of God and his names reveal his character. And my husband, several years ago, had given me a beautiful gift book, a coffee table book uh, that says to know him by name. And it has now I couldn't read more than a paragraph at a time. But fortunately, this had lots of artwork and white space. And I was sitting in my sunroom staring out into space. As you might imagine, this was about a month after he died. And I picked up the book and I thought, well, let me just take a look at this. Well, the first name of God that was written about was Elohim, creator. And it was at that moment that I looked out at the bare branches in my backyard. And God spoke to me and said, Elohim, I am creating something new for you. Those branches are bare right now. They're not always going to look that way. And right now, you look like this, but you're not always going to look that way. And that gave me tremendous comfort that I had a personal God who created me. He was still right. He's making. He didn't just make in six days and stop. He is always making something new. And he is creating in me something new and different. Hmm. And it's not what it was before. My life is not what it was before. There are components of it that are similar, but it's a new purpose, a new plan, a new me. And he is at the root of it all. So that was something that was a, a moment very early on in my loss that I clung to. And from there, I was actually leading a Bible study in my home and we went to all of the other names of God. And I confessed to the women, I said, I am profoundly sad. I am operating here with half a brain to lead you in this study. For sure. But one thing I do know is that we can look at these names and we can say, yes, you live up to your character. The name of El Roy, the God who sees me, he knows exactly where I am right now. And I don't know, April, if you want to share anything else about that, but that was, that was, those were moments for me and how I, now, did I cry? Did I, did I deeply grieve? Absolutely. Did I, was I indecisive? I didn't know what to do next. I never filed taxes. I never laid mulch, you know, all these solo decisions and all the, you cannot die in America without paperwork. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> I can't I can't filing, imagine filing forms, changing names, having people on the other end of the line that tell me, well, I need to talk with your husband. I said, I wish you could. I can't let you talk to my husband. Yeah, because of um, if you can connect with form. heaven, <laughs> then you can talk you know, to him. I said, I wish I could talk to him, too. It was a yeah. form that they needed that he needed to, to verify. I said, do you not understand why I'm calling you? <laughs> Which anyway. that, again, is a reminder of the loss. So the fact that you clung to the names of God mm-hmm. is so foundational to moving forward because he is making new every day. Every day his mercies are new. Every day he is faithful to us. 
that has to be something we cling to. Um, April, I would love to hear, Did was there wrestling on your part? I, Marilyn said she didn't wrestle. I mean, put me in a ring with a Hulk Hogan because I've been, <laughs> I mean, I've been wrestling. I mean, Marilyn, I feel like I should see Kumbaya with her or something. But I've been wrestling, y'all. I mean, wrestling. And even before my illness, um, I mean, my son is now 19. I've been wrestling for 19 years. I mean, I had postpartum depression after he was born and I was so depressed. I didn't know I was depressed. And so I was wrestling with the Lord then when I had a newborn and dealing with postpartum depression. Which is invisible. So then people say, well, are you real? Yes. Are you really that depressed or get over it? None of that helps. Yeah, Like I didn't even, I just clung to God's word in my, in Psalms and Isaiah or just the pages or tear like rippled from my tears um, because I have the same Bible that I did 19 years ago. So I had that. And then um, when we got pregnant with our daughter, who is two years younger, I was angry at the Lord because I had just finally come out of the depression Mm. and in between them, those children, I had a miscarriage. And so when I got pregnant with my daughter, Rachel, I was angry at God because I didn't have the mental capacity and the strength. So then I cried, but not tears of joy. It was tears of I'm mad at you. And why are you doing this to me? Because I don't have what it takes. I mean, like wrestling. And then she was like the easiest baby. My first child was like colicky for 13, I mean, 12 weeks. And she was like the easy child. Like, so God was good then. You know, like, and he is always good, as we say. But yeah, you know, see, I'm even catching myself saying it. But he was his compassionate towards me with having a second child that was not colicky. Um but then, um, but then just wrestling that strong-willed child, I've just, I, it's been a 19-year battle of just wrestling with the Lord. But something that was interesting is, is in 2013, God put, sort of instilled this idea in me to go a whole year without spending any money on myself. And this story is not in the book. Marilyn loves the story. And I didn't tell anybody about it. This was like a secret covert, covert message, like thing with God. Yeah. And it was so, the two of you chatting about this thing. Yes. I just felt like God was telling me to go a whole year without spending any money. And this is before I even read anything about Jennifer Hatmaker and how she did the whole year of seven For sure. and that kind uh-huh. of thing. Uh-huh. I didn't even know about that back then. So I only bought things that were absolutely necessary. So like I did consider coffee necessary, but nothing else. (laughs) That could be on the list of necessary coffee. And that was it. Clothing. And so like, look, I mean, things like, um, I took my daughter to, um, Marilyn loves the story. I took my daughter to target and I had an umbrella that broke. And my daughter sees, she's, we're getting her a new swimsuit and she sees a pink umbrella and she's like, mommy, you need to buy a new umbrella. And I'm like, no, honey, if God wants me to have a new umbrella, he'll provide one. And this is how, this is how I went the entire year. If God wants me to have it, he'll provide it. Well, wouldn't you know, like a month later or so, my friend 
who no one knew about this except for my, you know, immediate family. My friend said, April, I'm, I have a gift for you. She's like, but this is the most random gift. And if you want to take it back, you can. I just felt like I was supposed to buy it for you. And let me back up. When I told Rachel at Target, if God wants me to have a, an umbrella, he'll, he'll provide one. She says, okay, well, make sure it's pink with polka dots. I opened this gift from my friend, Amy. What is it? A pink umbrella with black polka dots. Oh my gosh. The whole year was like that. One, one time I prayed, Lord, I, I need a new pair of jeans. Like I've, um, I, I, I could use a couple of pairs of jeans, but Lord, if you want me to have some, you'll provide. A while later, a friend called me and said, my daughter and I are going through our closet. We've got clothes for Rachel and I've got clothes for you that I've outgrown. If you want them, you can have them. Sure. Three pairs of Levi's. Brand oh name Levi's. Gosh. Did they fit? Perfectly. Which is insane because we all know as women, jeans are the bane of our existence. <laughs> it's just maddening. And I'm short too. So like, no, yes. And then, I mean, just thing after thing after thing, like coffee mugs, travel coffee mugs. People would give stuff for me for my birthday and it would be in a gift basket and it would be like a travel coffee mug. And the week before I would have broken mine. It became a joke, like a joke between not, not a irreverent joke, but it became an inside joke between me and God. Like I got, and it was like, he was saying every single time I got you. I got you. Now this was 2013 and I was still working. I was primary wage earner of our home as a pharmacist. I, God was providing in a time when I could physically provide for myself. And I know that I know that I know that he took me through that journey, that he put that in my heart back then, because what he knew that I did not was that three, two years later, in 2015, I would start having these quirky symptoms. And then at the beginning of 2016, I would go on what I thought was a temporary medical leave of absence, but actually never return to work as a pharmacist. And if God can, was just proving to me that if I can provide for you when you can provide for yourself, you can trust me even more to provide for you when you cannot provide for yourself. Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. If you haven't connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, we'd love to see you there. If you're looking to find a community of caregivers for advice, counsel, and soul care, join our free caregiver support group on Facebook. If you'd like to watch Colleen's interviews instead of listening only, you can find us on YouTube. I think that is one of the most profound statements is that God was preparing you for what you had no idea was to come. And you, in your wrestling, you both had very different experiences with the Lord, but incredibly intimate with the names of God for Marilyn. And then April for you, gifts that would show up that only God could have done because nobody knew about Mm -hmm. what you were involved with him on. And yet, That is so much part of the reframing process is, yes, our lives are dramatically changed, but we're not omniscient or we don't know what he's preparing us for. 
So that right there. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What I was going to say is, let me clarify this. I don't want our listeners to think that I am living above in the clouds somewhere and that I have storybook life. That is not the case at all. I wouldn't, I guess maybe it's a semantics thing. I wouldn't say wrestling, but I'll say I struggled. I've struggled with disappointments in my life. I, I, I struggled with, I almost said wrestling. I struggled with infertility. And I would look at the scripture and in the Psalms, it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I'm thinking, isn't having a second baby a good thing? What is there? Yeah, that's in my hard body? to resolve. That's very you know, hard to resolve. It's hard to resolve. And so I wrestled with that. I had a, I had a very short term bout with depression. And it's interesting that people, well, you need to get out more. You need to have a hobby. Why don't you try exercise? Why don't you do this, that, and the other? Well, it was a physiological issue that needed medical attention for a very short time, but it was debilitating for me. And then we relocated. My husband had a fabulous job in industry, felt God's call to Christian higher education. We lost all of our finances because of a 60% pay cut. So we have seen God meet our needs, but there were struggles and it was going to the foundation again to say, and not, and I might add, and I think April would 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 um, agree with me. It's with some impatience on our part. You know, we're not exactly all in right away. Oh yeah, that's Elohim, the name of God. Now in that moment, God gave me that because that's what I needed at that moment. Right. I was not in a position to to wrestle and all that. I needed comfort. I needed security i needed to know he was there and that is what he does he is there for us in that moment and it it involves trust and waiting and quiet and that those trust waiting quiet are not behaviors or practices that we do well in Western society, quite honestly. No. As I'm listening to both of you and the, the things that were said or the experiences that you had of loneliness, of isolation, of feeling like, did I really just hear you say that? Um, tell us, equip us on what, what can someone say and do to be a companion with someone walking through deep grief and change? I would say as a widow to be present for someone without trying to uh, fix the situation with platitudes. And definitely, even if you are another widow, you really can't say, I know what you're going through because every marriage, every personality, every circumstance is very different. I know what it's like to close the door at night and be alone. And that's what other widows know. And that's probably about the only thing I do know or waiting in line for paperwork. I can come alongside. I had people ask me, would you like me to go to social security with you? Would you like me to drive you to the DMV? That's great. Come for coffee, come to my house. My daughter and I still talk about the, one of the most meaningful things that happened to us was probably the second week I had a church that I didn't grocery shop for practically two months. I mean, they showered us with my daughter was living with me at the time with everything. But we had a couple 
who wanted to provide a meal for us. And I told them, you already did. No, we want to do this. And I said, well, how about eating with us? And that was the first time we ate at our table, my daughter and I. And it was so meaningful. She came in with the food. They cleaned up. We ate together. It was hard because it's the reality that here I am with another couple, I might add, which is also another issue in and of itself, and my daughter. And so it's, I think it's being present and not, um, and giving alternatives, say, um, would you like me, would you like to go to lunch on Tuesday or how about next week? Or um, would just offering something that's set and giving someone space to accept or decline and not assuming, you know, what's good for them. I went to a social gathering because someone said, go, it'll be good for you. They had no idea what was good for me. And actually, it turned out to be disastrous because I thought, I am not ready for this social gathering. So it's not trying to give somebody ideas, but to see what their ideas are, if they even know what they are. Which I love that you said a grieving brain is half a brain because there are such physiological changes with grief and it is difficult to make decisions. We are so forgetful during times of grief and and seasons of hardship and loss. But the fact that you said, give people the opportunity to make a decision. And Mm -hmm. I heard one guy say, I went to the hospital and I would tell my friend, I'm down here in the waiting room. If you would like to have a visitor, I'm right here. And if not, I am fine with that. And I will leave in a couple hours. And some days his friend came down, other days he didn't. But that freedom to choose is incredibly powerful and not assuming to know what the person needs. Um, April, what was what could you speak into that? Um, I would say for I, I jokingly tell people that I have commitment issues um, because with a chronic illness, I never know how I'm going to feel. For sure. Uh, like mm-hmm. today, it's particularly warm outside, but it's a it's rainy, so it's damp. And so with that, I cannot feel my hands and I I cannot feel my arms and my hands today because the peripheral neuropathy, because of the funky damp weather, it so I um I'm sitting here talking to you with a blanket and the heat is set at like 73. So it's not like it's cold in my house, but, um, but I have commitment issues. And so um, today, after this interview, I will go take a nap. I tell people that I get by every day with Jesus coffee and an afternoon nap. Um, And the reason why I say I have commitment issues is because I never know how I'm going to feel. And I have to um, plan rest into my daily life, just as people plan to take their drive their kids to school or get them on and off the school bus. I have to plan and schedule rest in to my day and into my life on a regular basis. And so um, for people that want to do things with me, I will say, you know, I, I have to do things in the morning or early afternoon, because that's when I am, I, that's when I do best. Um, And then if I'm starting, but I always tell them, you know, I, um, I have commitment issues. So if I start to not feel good, then don't take it personally, I'll let you know. 
Um, Now, how has that been? Because I would imagine you have lost some friendships through that because they didn't have the capacity to adapt and to embrace what they couldn't see, but what you were experiencing. Well, the friendships I have lost, and I have lost friendships Mm -hmm. through this chronic illness, um, have been the ones that were not the ones that were meant for long-term relationships anyway. You know, God has a way of allowing things to sort of shake things up. Yeah, and and that's a uh, huge part of the reframing process because finding support is essential, mm -hmm. but the supports that we've had before Mm -hmm. often change to to supports that God brings into our lives. But that, again, is another loss. It is a loss. And it was difficult for us to, friendships that we had that we thought were deeper Mm-hmm. than they were. It, it's a revealing process that we realized some of the friendships we had that we thought were deeper than they were, were actually superficial, or these friends just didn't know, they either didn't know how to handle it, or they didn't want to step into that with us. And so they just pretended like it didn't exist, existed, and just mm-hmm. stopped altogether, um, which is really... Um, yeah. disappointing. I'm so sorry. That is disappointing. It, it's so really sorry. disappointing. Um, but it makes you do appreciate the friendships that, that you have, mm-hmm. that God, that, that have continued to, um, stay regardless of our circumstance. Um, and then God brings on a whole new group of friends, which makes it even, um, makes life even richer. So, As I um, come to a close, I want to ask a question because with reframing ministries, part of what we talk about a lot is that when God allows our lives to shift in a direction we never anticipated, we aren't prepared for, we don't have the skills or the abilities to know what to do next, we are very lost, then as he reconstructs our lives, he develops within us a purpose and a passion that is in another direction we never would have imagined. And I would like you to encourage those listening with how has God brought this full circle and continues to for sure, because these are ongoing things. Every Christmas will come back up the loss of your husband, Marilyn. Every Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, when you want to go on a jog April. um, I mean, there's so many in between, but it still has has changed you profoundly to give you a passion for what you're doing now. Speak into that excitement and that hope for those who are listening. Well, I would say that, um, you know, our, we don't have to have just one plan for life. And my plan was to be the local pharmacist until I retired, (laughs) but that changed. And that doesn't mean that um, God didn't, God has other plans. And my husband is so sweet to remind me that, you know, honey, you did that for 20 years. And so now God's given you a new career path, which includes um, authoring, you know, a book with Marilyn, Destination Hope, the travel companion when life falls apart. And he says, you get to reach out and love on others and encourage others um, in in a different capacity. You used to do it uh, at the pharmacy counter, and now you get to do it through a book and your website and, um, and uh, through uh, writing coaching. And so, you know, 
not to sound cliche that when God, you know, closes one door, he opens a window, but there is truth to that. Hmm. Now it doesn't, it doesn't always mean that the first window you come to is going to open right away. Um, But it's walking with the Lord and seeing where he's going to go in this journey. It's been so incredible. And in fact, I, it's, I would actually not go back to the life I previously had. I would not wish this illness on anyone, but the, the trust that God, that I have with the Lord and my relationship that has grown so deep and that I know that I know that I know that I can trust in him and that he um, is there for me and that I am never alone and that we are not alone. God's word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that is my overarching theme. I want people to know when, when they're going through something is that you are not alone. Wow. That is, that is so powerful. Marilyn. For me, I would say a couple of things. One is, you know, people will often say, well, God has something better in mind for you. God has something better in mind. That's another one of those cliches that goes along with God is good. Um, he has something different in mind for us that is going to look different and be different. And it's a matter of obedience to follow what he wants you to do. Like April, um, it's different for her. Uh, It's different for me. I would say it was probably the first, not quite the first year I was at a Christmas brunch for women's ministry team. And the question was how, what has God meant to you? How has God worked in your life this year? Now, can you imagine my jaw must have dropped? How has God worked in my life this year? <laughs> and it got to me, and I said, well, we all know how God has worked in my life this year, but I will tell you, I have never known him in deeper ways, and I have never loved him more. And again, that's not a storybook. It's not a cliche, but it is truth. And out of that, he gives direction And he says, I'm doing a new thing. I have a new purpose for you. You know, take your time, do what you need to do. But one of the things I do is facilitate a grief support group now. And they will look at me and they will say, okay, I see you. And I see that I can make it. And that was really what we wanted to do in our book, to say you're not alone. Everybody's path is different. But we have the same God who wants to meet you where you are provide for you what he wants to provide. And Lamentations 3, April knows this, 22 and 23. You know, it's because of God's faithfulness, I'm not consumed. And the the rest of the scripture says, his compassions never fail and his mercies are new every day. But you know, they new every day because they're not yesterday's. They're the ones I need for this moment. And his compassions that he gives me are not the ones he gives April or you. He has handcrafted ones because he knows us personally. And that is what I would want to leave with people, that you have a personal God, you have a living hope. Life is hard. Your life may have fallen apart and you are wondering, how am I going to pick up these pieces? Mm. But God does have a plan and he does have purpose and it will look different. I speak I, I don't speak we anymore. I make solo decisions. I don't have anybody to run things by. 
I do things that I've never done before. And my daughter says, you're developing a resume. You know, at one point I thought I could get a job from as a maintenance supervisor in an apartment building because of all the things I had to learn and do. And so it is new. It is different. And I would say, follow God's plan and stay close to his heart. That is just so incredibly powerful. And I love what you both said is that God is bringing you to people who are needing, I mean, it's that second Corinthians one passage from the comfort that God has given you, then -hmm. you are now equipped to comfort others with, with God's comfort. And you truly, truly are doing that through this book. You guys have resources. I want our listeners to know there are resources at the end of the book that are fabulous. There's a little park bench in each chapter where you can just sit and pause. There's areas of like a little postcard. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And I can't thank you both enough for choosing to keep showing up with numb arms, April and hands. And things that have been said, Marilyn, and going solo so often, um, you're still speaking so much hope into those who are where you have been. And I thank you for doing that and for the time and commitment. How can people find you? I know we'll put these in our show notes, but I also know that you're on the web. So your email address, not email, sorry about that, but your websites are? MarilynNutter.com. And Facebook, Facebook author page, Marilyn Nutter. Sounds and, great. And uh, I am AprilDawnWhite.com. There you have it. We are going to put those in our show notes. And I want to thank you so much. And thank you, Reframing Ministry audience. Please rate and review this and share this with people who are struggling because we need these voices in our lives when the bottom has dropped out. So thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. You can find the show notes in the description below. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.